But before we're blessed, I'm going to dismiss the rush class. <laughs> you guys get to be blessed in the rush classroom. But the rest of us get to be blessed with uh, Graham McKeague is going to come and share the word. Yay, Graham. <laughs> well, good morning. Um, well, God is really stirring something um, right now, and it's, uh, it's, it's really exciting. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be preaching today and next Sunday, and pretty much the theme of what I'm going to be preaching about is is finding our destiny, but it's more of a corporate destiny, and that's exactly what God's been bringing out this morning in worship. So don't you love it when that happens, when God like brings things together? So that's exciting. Yes, love that. So let's just, I just really want to pray that we'd be able to receive this morning on a corporate level. And so what I want you to do is not, is when we pray right now, I don't want you to think about yourself, okay? So that's different than normal, right? Maybe for some of us, confession time. But I want you to pray for us as a body, okay, for this, for this church, that we'd be able to receive as a body what God is doing because there's something very different about um, what we've been hearing from God this morning, corporate destiny and corporate um, the corporate mandate that a group of people have is different than individuals, or what individuals receive, what we receive individually. Does that make sense? So a good example is like the people of Israel in the desert. Well, they wandered for those 40 years. If you were born during that time, you had no choice, but you were going to wander in the desert with that group of people. That was a corporate destiny you were born into, right? You had no choice, you know? And if you were part of the generation that made it to the promised land, then you made it to the promised land. That was your corporate destiny, and your individual destiny was swept into it. Does that make sense? So in the same way, God is saying there's a corporate destiny for New Day, for Kalamazoo. So let's just pray that we'd receive that this morning. Yes, Father, we are just humbling ourselves before you again, submitting ourselves to you and to your plan, your purpose for what you have for us as a body, as a church. And God, we just pray this morning that you would just allow us to begin to receive it, to receive the first fruits of what it is to understand your plan for us. Help us to receive it. God, give us ears to hear, we pray. In your name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the first part of um, two-part series. And this morning, I'm going to talk about creation and fall. So basically, the plan is to kind of take a big, a big picture view. So, you know, if you've seen Apollo 13 or if you use Google Earth, but basically just picture the whole Earth, right, from space. Like the Earth's just hanging in space. Okay, that's the perspective that we want to have in our minds. And often... On a Sunday, we're dealing with very individual and particular issues, you know, like how to deal with finances or, you know, how to have a deeper prayer life or something like that, how to read the Bible and understand the Bible. And those are good, but they're very, very particular, very local. And today I want the perspective and next week to be to be bigger. Okay, so we're going to zoom out. So we've all got that picture in your mind of like the earth just hanging in space. And that's kind of the, the large scale view that we want. And that's not to say that our role isn't important, but perspective matters and how you look at things matters. And so what I want to do is have us kind of think about our own lives, but kind of in the light of the bigger picture and start of st- instead of starting with us and then projecting that onto the whole planet and how we can help. All right. Does that make sense? So we're going to start big and, and go, okay. I should have had Google Earth, you know, because then like you start out big and then you zoom right in. So that's 
That's what we're going for. And the model that I want to use is creation, fall, and redemption. Okay? And hopefully over the next two weeks, you're going to see that every single thing we, we do is either in the process of creation, fall, or redemption. And if those terms don't mean anything to you, hopefully they will by the time we're done. And today I'm going to do creation and fall and explain those two things to you in a bigger sense. And then next week we're going to talk about redemption and how God is restoring and redeeming everything and our part in that. So if by the end of today you're like, I'm not sure what my individual role is in this big picture, that's okay because that's coming next week. But today I want to outline in more general terms kind of God's plan for us kind of as, as humanity as a whole and how that's, how that's kind of worked itself out. So when we think about creation, what do you think about? Just tell me a couple of things like the word creation in the beginning, light and dark. Anything else? Do people have opinions about creation? Yeah. What, what are those opinions based on? Yeah, like what is, what's the debate about in creation? Intelligent design. Young earth, old earth. Anything else? Yeah, but that's, that's it. How old is the earth? How did it get here? How did God put it all together? Creation, evolution, all of that. Okay, I don't want to talk about that at all. <laughs> so, because <laughs> the problem is, I mean, that's good. I was thinking about this really interesting. Okay, two of the biggest debates that you'll have is how we got here and where we're going. All right? And the Bible has some stuff to say about both of those things. But often we focus on, like, part of it, but we don't focus on all of it. So with creation, we focus on, on how God created. But we don't focus on, like, the stuff that's really in there that's really clear about, like, the purpose of, like, why we're here and different things like that. So I'm going to talk about that. And then with, like, end times, what do we talk about? Like, like is the rapture before the tribulation and... You know, are you pre-millennial or amillennial or whatever? Do you even believe in a millennium? Well, you should because it's in there. But, um, you know, all of that stuff. But we don't think past that. Like, that's just part of the process. And there's actually more after that that the Bible actually is more clear about. So we're going to get to that next week. But it's just interesting that at both ends of the spectrum, there's debate. It kind of sidetracks us from the bigger picture. So, so normally when we think of creation... Aside from how we got here, okay, and we do believe that God created us to be here, which we'll see. But we, there's two other things that are part of creation. Number one, we often think of the plants, the animals, the birds, the fish, and that's God's physical creation. All right, that's pretty easy for us to get our minds around. And things like biology, chemistry, physics, you know, sciences like this, disciplines like this, they kind of unravel kind of the mysteries of the physical creation, and they help explain creation to us in a way that we'll understand, right? So we're familiar with that. Everybody has at least taken some science. I hated it, couldn't wait to be done with it. So Jill is the complete opposite, loves science. So, um, But the other thing I want to explain is that aside from just the, the physical creation, God has also created ways for things to function, ways for things to function. And what I mean by that is God has created institutions. He's created patterns for life to be lived. And those are things that he's mandated just as much as he's mandated that birds fly in the air and fish swim in the sea. 
these are laws or patterns for life or norms, you know, the normal way to do things. And um, disciplines like philosophy, anthropology, sociology, law, politics, etc., you know, they're really devoted to helping to understand what's the right way for these areas of life to function. And people debate those on and on. The point is that God rules over everything. So he rules over the physical creation, but he also rules over all of those other areas of life. And he has specific intent and design for each of those other ways of life to be lived. Does that make sense? So we're just going to look at that for a moment. Um, In Psalm 147, you actually see both of these, the physical creation and kind of God's pattern for life outlined in, in one passage. So Psalm 147, verse 15 to 20, if you want to follow on your Bibles, you can, or I believe it'll be up possibly on the screen. But in verse 15, he says, he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out his hail like morsels and who can stand before his cold. He sends out his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. So you have the physical creation. God has commanded different things to happen in nature. We're familiar with that. Then the next verse, he declares his word to Jacob his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. So you see in those, those last two verses, what God is saying is, or what the psalmist is saying is, you know, the word of the Lord and the decree of the Lord and God's plan, God's intention, is equally as much for creation in terms of the physical creation as it is for his statutes, his judgments, and the ways that God wants things to be accomplished on the earth. And so there you have a clear example of the fact that that God equally has mandated things to do with how things are supposed to be patterned and how things are governed in in the physical realm. So what are some areas that we're talking about that God has mandated for things to be to be enacted? Well, in 1 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul talks about uh, marriage as one of those things that God has instituted and God has definite plans for. In verse 3, uh, or in this chapter, Paul is talking about people who have kind of opposed the truth of the gospel. And what they were doing was forbidding people to marry. This is picking up in verse 3. Commanding people to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good. Now, in other other translations will say, um, for every creation of God is good. And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. And so basically there, both food and marriage are two areas of life that God has called good and says that we're not to reject or not to... um, not to refuse. Another instance would be government. In Romans 13, again, Paul talks about, you know, us um, praying for our leaders, considering our leaders as being instituted by God. And so the idea here is that God is very directly has his hand at work, both in the physical creation, but also in things like family and things like government. And God has very specific things in mind. Now, what would that look like? Well, if you run a business, you, there's, diff- there's different business patterns that are helpful when you're running a business, right? It's, it's, it's helpful to understand a profit and loss statement. It's helpful to understand cash flow. It's helpful to understand different principles, right? How to make a profit. 
is definitely a principle that you want to learn in business. If you run your business like you run your family, you might get into problems pretty quickly. Right? If you're trying to sit down and, and have like a family-style business, well, that might work for a while. But if your business grows, sometimes that can get really awkward. You're trying to treat everybody like family. Well, if you have a business suddenly of a couple of hundred employees and you're trying to treat everybody like family, that can sometimes get really complicated. That can get tricky. If you ran a, if you, um, ran a school like a business or a hospital like a business, then those priorities are really different, right? That's the whole healthcare debate right now. Like hospitals or businesses, the way it's set up right now, they're designed to make money and everybody, all the different interests are kind of saying, no, don't cut us out of the picture, you know. And that's the thing is God has ordained different ways for things to be run. So how you run healthcare, how you run education, how you run your family, how you run, uh, how the church is run, all of these different things, how government is run, God has design and God has intent for those things. So God has corporate plans. God has corporate ideas. And we fit into those ideas in whatever sphere we're in. So next week I want to talk more about how we individually, wherever we are in our lives, can help to influence those things, those areas that we're in, whether it's business or wherever. In Isaiah chapter 28, verses 23 to 29, you have a really interesting example of kind of our role and God's role kind of combining together. So this is in the, the example of farming. So as you know, a lot of the Israelites were farmers um, back in the Old Testament days, and they would have had all of their different kind of farming techniques well, in verse 23 of Isaiah 28, God says, Give ear and hear my voice. Listen and hear my speech. Does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow? Does he keep turning his soil and breaking the clods? When he has leveled its surface, does he not sow the black cumin and scatter the cumin, plant the wheat in rows, barley in the appointed place, and the spelt in its place? For he instructs him in right judgment. His God teaches him. For the black cumin is not threshed with a threshing sled, Sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over the cumin, but the black cumin is beaten with a stick, cumin with a rod. Bread flour must be ground, therefore it does not thresh forever. Break it with his cartwheel or crush it with his horseman. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful and counsel and excellent in judgment or in guidance. Okay, so, okay, that's great. That's a great passage on farming advice, but I don't think many of us are going to be planting like that or threshing or using horses anytime soon to do all of that. What's the point of that passage? The point is, there's some pretty specific advice in that for the farmer, for somebody who's going about his work. Do you notice where the advice came from? It comes from the Lord of hosts who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. A little bit earlier, verse 26, God instructs the farmer in right judgment. Because God teaches him. So that's amazing that God actually has very specific ways for the farmer to plant each specific type of seed. And so you might say, wow, that's not applicable to me whatsoever because I'm not farming. <laughs> but think about it in your life. There's specific ways to do a job. There's specific ways to, to run a family. There's specific ways to be in business. There's specific ways that we are church together. 
there's right and appropriate ways to do things, and there's completely wrong th- ways to do things, right? We all know this. And what this passage is saying is, you know, God is so interested in our lives. He is so interested in who we are that he has instructed the farmer exactly how to go about his business. And so for us, what is God's invitation this morning? Ask me for that wisdom and guidance so that you'll know exactly what your task is. You'll know exactly how to go about your task so that you can prosper. All right? That's the implication from that passage this morning. So we're familiar with asking God for individual guidance for our lives. But what about for our culture? What about for our society? You know, in what ways can we help to influence in the areas that we happen to be positioned? You know, in music, what about our talents in arts or in education or in healthcare? In what way can we help? I want to look at this from a slightly different angle. I don't want to get too far ahead because some of that is for next week. But basically, when you look at our original design and our original intent, for what purpose did God create us? Is anybody here familiar with anybody grew up Presbyterian or Presbyterian influence? My dad is Presbyterian, so I had a little bit of it. Anybody? A little bit over there. Do you remember the, the Westminster Catechism? Yeah, you have to learn that. Yeah. And you have to learn all of these different things. And a catechism is, you know, you get a short question and then you have an answer and then another question and then an answer. And it's meant to be memorable. And they have, like, the shorter catechism that you're supposed to be able to memorize. And you get tested on it at different points in your church life. So don't worry, we don't have anything like that. But and, uh, but some churches still use that. And it's actually very useful as an educational, an educational thing. But if you look at... Um, but it covers all of these basic things. What are we created for? What was God's original intention? What was God's original design? And um, when you look at God creating Adam and Eve, and why I don't want to get bogged down on how they got there, is I want, to, I want us to focus on kind of what was the result. So God creates by his word in six days and rests on the seventh. And the whole of creation was good, right? We know this from scripture. God says again and again, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good, okay? And so there's an important aside, side note here is, you know, creation, anytime we think of the world and we get tempted to think, oh, the world is not good, it's not a good place, That's, that goes against what God has said about the world. The world is good. The world has been created good. And actually Christianity is, is unique in that regard, that it, it, it regards the physical earth, what, God, what has been made as good. The thing about when God made creation is he didn't make it a mature creation or a complete creation. Okay, so it was finished in one sense. Like, all of the things for life, all of those kind of life cycles and ecosystems were in place. But think about the earth. There was Adam and Eve in a garden, and the rest of the earth was to be filled, was to be developed. And so, in one sense, the earth was completely empty. And so you have God creates actively for six days and rests on the seventh, and then he says to himself, I'm not going to actively create anymore. He said, but what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to leave my image on the earth. Does anybody know how he did that? Through, through us, amazingly, he did that. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, <clears throat> 
God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that is our invitation as humanity. And that word has never been taken back. Never been taken back to go and to fill the earth, to have dominion over it. And you know, when God created that earth, the earth for us to live on, he purposefully left it in a place where we had all of the resources we would ever need to fill the earth with his glory. And Adam and Eve were completely created totally equipped for that task. And God's goal was that his whole world, that this whole world would flourish according to his kingdom, that his glory would be known throughout the whole world. And he withdraws after those six days of actively creating, rests on the seventh, and then what is left on the earth? Humanity, us. So, I have a little bit of a catechism here just to give you a feel for it. So Nancy, this will be familiar, maybe. Why was humanity created? It's the question. Answer to have relationship with God. How was humanity created? By God and in his image as male and female. Adam was formed from dirt. Eve was created from Adam's rib. How does humanity reflect God's image? Remember, we're created in his image. There's a lot of answers to this, but some of it includes through the ability to reason, to self-reflect, to have emotional understanding, and a knowledge of beauty. What is humanity's original function? To maintain the pattern and the rhythm of God's design for the earth, to establish family units and community. How would they fulfill this function? By living in joyful fellowship with God, to establish culture, delight, and creativity, to grow in maturity and knowledge, to form communities and nations. What capacity did humanity possess for this task? Well, Adam and Eve had physical, emotional, mental, and moral capacities that were perfectly created to align with God's will. But what about humanity's freedom of will? Adam and Eve were created with a freedom of will, but they also had the full ability and wholehearted inclination to complete all of God's purposes for them. What were these purposes? To be fruitful, multiply, to fill the whole earth and govern it, to rule according to the divine mandate God had given them. What other commands did God give Adam and Eve? They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil planted beside the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Why could they not eat of this tree? God warned them if they would, they would die. By not eating of the tree, their continued perfection and fellowship with God would remain. It's hard for us because we've been so tainted by sin to understand what God's original purpose was for us as humans. And um, we just covered some of this in, in class, and there was a professor, and he said, at this point in theology, in thinking about God and humanity, it's like the dock goes out into the water, and he's like, the dock is like stuff we know for sure. And he's like, and then it's like you kind of jump off the dock, so you're kind of close to the dock still, but you're swimming around, and he calls this swimming swimming near the dock theology. So he's like, you're close to stuff that we already know for sure, 
it's not wrong, but we've no way of knowing for sure that it's absolutely true. Because we're imagining, right? We're close to the safety of the dock. So it's okay for us to begin to imagine in our minds. If sin had never come in and entered the world, what would that have looked like? What would that have looked like? Well, one picture we get is God created the earth to be filled. How was it going to be filled? It was going to be filled with nations and cities. It was going to be filled with culture. You ever wonder why in every single society and nation on the earth, like, culture just seems to happen? Like, thing, there's always artists and there's always, like, even in, like, really oppressed states and dictatorships, there's always people who are working to produce works of art. There's always people who are, you know, using music as a form of rebellion or, or whatever, you know. There's always stuff that's flourishing. People are always trying to, to make things happen, to understand their lives. It's because we're built with that capacity. By the end of Genesis 4, and the, even with the result of sin coming in in Genesis 3, you already have people f- building cities and giving birth to people who would become skilled in musical instruments and all sorts of craftsmanship. So even very, very early on, you have this idea that we were created for going out and filling the earth and that God gave us this capacity and this desire to go out and to form culture and community and nations. And so it's hard for us sometimes because of just the way sin has affected us. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, some of these desires, they might not be 100%, you know, godly to go out and to really want to flourish in all of these different areas of life. You know, is it really right that there's all of these nations in the earth? You know, shouldn't we just be one people? Shouldn't we just be one? Like, why can't everything just be kind of the same? And you get the impression, again, it's not, you know, we're swimming off the dock, but you get the impression that God created us with, with this desire to go and fill the earth. And there's going to be a wide variety of how we do that. And God's given us that capacity. God's given us that desire to do that. And it's okay that it looks different in different places. And as we were created, we were created to reflect that glory of God in close relationship with him. It's hard because we, we fall on this side of Adam and Eve's sin and Adam and Eve's rebellion. And the thing about it is Adam and Eve rebelled against God's word. They ate of the fruit of that tree, and we know that. And I don't really want to get into, like, the problem of how evil exists and sin came into the world. There's a lot of unanswered questions. You know, suddenly there's a serpent in the garden. Well, where did the serpent come from? You know, how come he can speak with Eve? Like, you know, there's a lot of questions. But there's some things that we have to affirm. We have to affirm God's goodness, and we have to affirm God's God's strength. So God is still all-powerful and God is still all-good despite the presence of evil. But we also are very aware of the presence of evil and the presence of sin in our lives and in culture as a whole and how it's, how it's kind of corrupted everything. The thing is, because we're created with this, idea, with this desire to kind of comprehend and make sense of our world as part of this cultural mandate God's given us, we want to try to explain sin and we want to try to explain Logically, well, maybe it's good that we have evil in the world because then good seems even better. You know, and people have tried to use that argument. Well, that doesn't really work because, you know, it just it just doesn't quite capture the sense that evil is just so bad and so corrupting. You know, and there's different ways people have tried to rationalize sin and evil in the world. The point is, Evil is completely irrational and has no redeeming value whatsoever. So anytime you try to rationalize it, 
in culture, in the world, in your own life, you're already running down a blind alley. And so it's just important for us to realize that trying to understand and comprehend the impact of evil in our lives, trying to give it any value whatsoever, is just a completely fruitless task. Because God created everything so good, and then it was so completely shattered and corrupted by evil, there's no way to explain it. There is no logical way to explain why Adam and Eve rebelled against God. I mean, you can try to say, oh, they give in to temptation and this and that. There's no logical reason for them to do it. But it happened, and we fall with them, and we are caught in this corruption of sin. And so when you're thinking about, wow, how do we advance God's kingdom in the earth? It seems like, it seems like just a very difficult task in the face of evil. In one sense, that's true. Because evil has permeated not just our own individual lives, but all of these areas of life that we're talking about, family, government, education. But that's not to say that we won't overcome. And we're going to talk about that that next week. Suffice to say that the only way out is through God's strength, through God's grace, and through his salvation. Adam and Eve got themselves to a point where they just could not, I mean, they just were completely helpless, as are we. And the physical earth was cursed by sin relationship between each of us was all corrupted by sin relationship with god was corrupted by sin and the different elements and the different ways god has created the earth everything was corrupted and that's why it's really hard for us to think about wow what was god's original intention what's it like to live without sin has anybody ever read uh, like c.s lewis like the space trilogy or the great divorce and he talks about he talks about worlds in there that are so different you know in the great divorce they go to heaven and that's like it's like heaven is so much more real you know it's like there's a reality to heaven that is so much greater than anything we've known on earth. Like everything is, like he tries to pick up a leaf and the leaf is so heavy. It's like he can't even pick the leaf up because the leaf has so much more substance to it than anything that we know on earth. And so those, I'd recommend those books when you're thinking about these topics because it just it kind of transports your mind into a different way of thinking. When you read the Space Trilogy and Lewis describes worlds that are so different, and that's what it's like. We would have lived in a completely different world, in one sense, without sin. Just a completely different reality. And every part of creation cries out for it. And there's, what we live in is in a tension between every, every institution, everything that God has created, like the family or business or government. They kind of live in this tension where, um, where as Christians... Our, our goal is to come in and to see those things restored back to their original function, to see them redeemed, to see God's kingdom come in. But then on the other hand, you have people with the opposite plan that want to see things corrupted and are just living out that fullness of kind of sin, you know, and decay and corruption that we know. So one example I think of is like, is like you know, Bernie Madoff, like swindled a whole bunch of people, you know, and he was sentenced, I think, just this past week or the week before. You know, a, a, a financier, an investment a banker who basically just took people's money and seemed completely heartless and ruining people's lives. Okay, so society as a whole has said, okay, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right that he would do that. So we're going to punish him. We're going to sentence him. He'll be in prison the rest of his life. Okay, so you see there a bit of a tension where it's like this guy decided, hey, I think I'm going to try to do this. He got caught. Society says, no, that's not right. And right there you have attention. What is the right way for 
banks and institutions who lend us money and financial institutions? What is the right way for them to function? And you have people working this out, you know? You have it in government too, like the, um, the nominee for the Supreme Court, um, Justice Sotomayor. So what was that whole debate about? It was the whole debate about what constitutes a judge, like when should a judge allow their prejudice to influence a case? And what's going on there? People are figuring out what is the right role for justice in our culture. And there's bigger, you know, there's bigger issues at play. The, those are the people who are saying the words and, and, and kind of thinking about the issues. But the bigger issue is how should justice function in our society? And you can go through every, you know, you can go through all of the different um, avenues of life. You see it with, with Iran right now. You know, the, they had the election. It seems to have had some strange results in it. If you've been following the news, what happened? People revolted. They went out on the street and they said, hey, like, this is not right. It's not right that you can just rig an election and have this guy in, in charge for another four years. Right? And we feel that. And what happened is the government goes in and they just say, all right, we'll just quash. We'll let you, we'll let you protest for a few days, but then you're going to know who's boss and you're going to know that we're in charge. And we feel that pain like, wow, that's, that's, not, that's not right that those people don't have a voice, you know? And again, you have that struggle. What's the right way for a country to be governed? What's the right way for people to elect a leader? And all of these things are going on around us. So next week, I want to talk about kind of our role in that. But for today, I just want you to, to know that God has plans for each area of our lives. God has plans for education. He has plans for business, plans for government, plans for justice, plans for every single thing, plans for family. We have a role in that. We have a role in that to see that all of those areas are brought for God's glory. For Our original purpose was to bring God's glory through every element of culture, through every institution that we have. The corruption of sin has made it so hard for us. It's blinded us to God's original intention for our lives, and it's blinded us to the capabilities that we could have to see God's glory extended throughout the whole earth. But the final word is that there is hope. There is hope. And God hasn't left us hopeless. He hasn't left us in a place where it's an impossible task. And next week, we're just going to look and we're just going to think together about, about where we are right now and then where we're headed. Because if there's one thing in life that's guaranteed, if there's one enterprise that's guaranteed for you to join up and sign up for, it's the kingdom of God. It is absolutely guaranteed to yield full fruit. It is absolutely guaranteed investment to sign up for the kingdom of God because we know for sure that the kingdom of God will always advance and that evil will finally be judged once and for all. Again, that's hard because we're like, wow, evil seems like such a big thing. Like, it's hard to overcome. Yeah, but the reality is it's going to be overcome once and for all and that we're going to be part of that process. So that's next week. So that's the big picture. And um, that's it. So over to Sarah, who has some announcements.